0: An Apple Viz original.
1: Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Apple Viz Extra. This is episode 90. My name is Dave Nason, and we are here to talk about the just released Apple Vision accessibility report card. I am joined by three of my wonderful colleagues from the Apple Viz editorial team. First off, if you are looking for sarcastic remarks and perhaps some Braille expertise, you look no further than Mr. Scott Devert. How are you, Scott? No, that's
2: not true. I am never sarcastic, Dave. I don't know where you got that from. You know, I think this is might be the first time uh, a report card was issued for somebody at 90.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. True story. More on that later. <laughs> We are also joined by all-around nice guy and Mac Guru, I think it's fair to say. Tyler Steven, how are you, Tyler? I'm good. Great stuff. Great to have you. And a very familiar voice to anyone who listens to Apple Big Podcasts. And fresh home from a, a nice holiday or vacation, Mr. Thomas Donville, also known as Anonymous. How are you, Tom?
0: Well thanks Dave. Yeah, it's good to be back. I <laughs> I'm feeling under the weather. I brought that back with me on the trip, but thanks for the holiday wish though.
1: Very good. Very good. Well, we hope you start to feel better. And uh, enjoy the show. So, as I said, this is a podcast to discuss and accompany the release of the Apple Vision accessibility report card. This is the first year we've ever done this report card we would uh, hope it's going to be the first of many and become an annual event it will you know the idea is to you know get the sentiment of the community on how apple is doing for its blind and low vision customers and users and uh, we would like as well to Thank uh, Jason Snell and Six Colors. We kind of stole your idea there, guys, but it was a, a good idea is a good idea. What do they say? Is it a great artist's steal? Is that the phrase? Something like that?
3: <laughs> Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, we'd also like to thank, I think, probably not said often enough, is thank David Goodwin, who is the man behind the AppleBiz website. And it was his idea to do this survey and he put an awful lot of work into it as well. So uh, I think we owe him some thanks as well for putting this together. The survey was conducted on the Apple Viz website and was open to all registered Apple Viz members and was conducted between February the 20th and February the 26th, 2023. So again, thanks to everybody who participated. We got great response. And we're really delighted with it. And we hope uh, people take a lot from it and that Apple take a lot from it. So what we're going to do in this podcast is have a discussion about what the community have said, Um, but please do also have a look at the website and, you know, have a read of it for yourselves as well. It's well worth a read. So I thought we would kick off with iOS where we had ratings. And by the way, the ratings were for voiceover features and user experience for Braille um, features and user experience, and for low vision features and user experience. So that's what the report covered. So on the iOS side for voiceover features, uh, we had a rating of four point five average, with the most frequent rating being a four. And for the user experience, it was four point two average, with the most frequent rating being a four. So I would say. From a sentiment point of view, this was the most positive uh, score we had, maybe not surprisingly. Um, You know, it it came across that there's a very strong feature set and that Apple are still innovating. Um, Maybe what holds it back is the UX, uh, or sorry, the user experience, particularly bugs or an idea that maybe bugs aren't being addressed as quickly or as um, efficiently as they could be. So, Tyler, you had an interesting comment yourself on this actually, about how, you know, Apple have come up with a a lot of interesting features over the years, but some of the inconsistencies hold it back. Do you want to expand on that a little bit?
3: Yeah. So again, I think that they've really, especially on iOS, they've revolutionized mobile accessibility. It was really a paradigm shift when the first, I I believe it was the iPhone 3GS, came with VoiceOver, and they've been innovating since. Um, But what I found was that there are a lot of good features, but reliability, you know, when the reliability is as questionable as it sometimes is, it detracts from the overall user experience. Example could be most glaring example probably for not only for blind and low vision users, but iOS users in general would be Siri. Siri, you know, came on the scene one of the first mainstream voice assistants, and it wowed and impressed crowds and early users. But what's happened is even though it's theoretically capable of more today than it was in the past, there are still issues with how it well with it. I feel like with its speech recognition and sometimes its utter refusal to you, take take instructions. So there's that. Um, and another thing I've noticed is with voiceover, a couple of years ago they added screen recognition, which can be helpful if yeah if you're using an app that isn't accessible that you have to use and for if the developer broke accessibility or you just need it in a pinch you could use screen recognition and that you know um depending on you know obviously your results will vary but you can have some very positive experiences with it the problem is it's some um, with all these descriptions be it screen recognition or image descriptions they sometimes come up in places where you wouldn't expect them to and can make voiceover verbose. So, for example, with image descriptions on the home screen, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it gets kind of annoying. I'll be, you know, exploring by touch on my home screen and it will say something like the name of the app and it'll say Blue Sky or I'll go to the page picker on the home screen and it'll say like Outdoor. And especially for new users. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, Yeah. And especially for new users. Blue Sky.
1: (laughs) I find toggling Uh, voiceover uh, actually...
3: Yeah, Uh, Yeah, especially for, for new users or, you know, it could be confusing. And if you use a Braille display, that's just extra, extra messages on the display. It's overly verbose. And if you just use audio and speech, it's just annoying. But again, it's one of those things. And again, with screen recognition too, how screen recognition, if in some apps, it can transform the user experience to an extent to make them more accessible, but others it can cause more erratic behavior, so I would like to see a little more refinement on that. I guess that's the um, the crux of my comment with the iOS UX.
1: Fair enough. Uh, to focus on some of the positives, I know Scott, you talked about, you know, commending Apple for the number of voices they offer and the the continued addition of features and um, even eloquence being added being a great move. Do you want to kind of expand on that? Like, what do you think are are the real positives that people are calling out in this survey?
2: Working on that. Just one moment. Sorry. (laughs) Something went wrong. Try again later. Oh, sorry. I got caught in a Siri loop. Um, yeah. The, you know, there's there's a lot of good here. Uh, and I think the 4.5 of five reading really reflects that. But um, and we'll get into this more in a little bit. But uh, you know, and some of the great things they've done are yes indeed, adding voices. Now, I really love eloquence. And it being available on the operating system has really changed my level of productivity for now. I say for now because I have a hearing loss that's progressive, and one day there won't be any TTS options. Uh, So from that perspective, you know, they've done some great things. And I think we're going to notice a theme here, a recurring theme, and that is Siri came out. It was awesome. It was great. It was the best on the market, and now it's not, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and this has happened with a lot of features. They roll out new things and they're great. But the problem is that that most of them are not maintained or you think, okay, well, that's the first release. We'll get more uh, well-refined results later, things like that. But the problem is it's kind of working the opposite direction. Would you guys agree?
1: Yeah, we had a comment actually to that effect saying, you know, um, it's from an anonymous user love you i love, love voice over but i do find it frustrating that it's impacted by operating negatively impacted by operating system updates and things don't get uh, refined over time or don't get fixed so yeah
2: was that an anonymous or an anonymous
1: i was gonna say that was an anonymous <laughs> but there might be some anonymousism amongst the anonymouses who knows
2: anonymous do you have a comment
0: <laughs> sure i do man hey i I think the grade that the overall 4.5 is spot on. I, I agree with this assessment and to rehash on everybody, what they pretty much said is that Apple and the accessibility team made a incredible screen reader for us to use on the mobile and iPad. It's just phenomenal and it's simple and it's easy to use. It's straightforward. I like a lot of the aspect of it. Now, of course, nothing is ever perfect because there's always room for improvements and some of those improvements I want like to hash on to make this even better is that one the commenter had on there was mentioning about tutorial that they have on touchback and oh, okay. talkback thank you and I Totally agree with this person. That is one major area I think is shortfall um, with voiceover for beginners. There is not a great place to start to understand how to use things, and I think this tutorial idea is a must. And I think that can only improve what they have out there already. I agree with all of you when it comes to Siri. Siri was like the bomb when it first came out. Where they were ahead of the game. They were first on board but have degrade over the years and articles after articles after articles years after years it's the same results when they do the comparison of Google assistant to Bixby to the A lady and to Siri Siri always runs towards in the end and this needs to change. Um, and I mentioned Siri because this is used heavily over with voiceover so it goes hands and hands together. And the last thing I want to note and I would like to add in there is that to add additional experience, is that recently Google Play in, introduced something for developers to check box. And that is to make it'll say this is accessible. And what this box does is that it shows up in their store and that allows the user to be able to search that box that is accessible. What a beautiful idea this would have on the App Store for us. And I think Apple has been kind of leaning, kind of getting further behind of competitors and such as this. This should have been from the get-go from Apple. And I'm surprised Apple hasn't introduced this. Is that give us. The developer a box so that way we can say we can search ah developers have the choice to say this is accessible and i think that can only improve things but overall i think the 4.5 and the experience is there i wish some of the bugs and we will be discussing more is that the experience is okay for those that have been using iphone for some time and that are moderate or advanced users for beginners you know, we might come across something and the experience might just come to a sudden halt because they don't know what to do in such environments. So it's critical that we get these things nipped in the butt in the first place. Yeah. 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 A few interesting
1: yeah. points there. Like I think the... The tutorial is baffling because it's been they've had one on on Mac for many years. When you for the first time you run Voice Over, you get given a tutorial. So it's it's odd that they never did so on iOS. And the checkbox idea is also very interesting. It's one that's been put to Apple. I think we put it to Apple. Um, I heard um, actually one of our um, hall of famers, Marco Armand, who makes the Overcast app. I heard him on a podcast suggesting that Apple should do this, um, but they they seem reluctant. For whatever reason, to uh, to to go down that road, but uh, so it's interesting that you've called that out here. And when we're talking about the report card,
2: the other thing is that Thomas, you and I did a podcast in twenty eleven, maybe it was twenty twelve. I don't know. Anyway, point is, it was like a decade ago on an app called Vo Starter. You remember that, mm-hmm. Mike Deweese?
0: Yep. We I'm
2: had perfect this discussion. Yeah, at that that time, we had this discussion about how Apple needs to develop some sort of tutorial uh, for new voiceover users. Uh, I recently went through the accessibility experience with TalkBack, and as a beginning user, if I had to compare my iOS experience of setup to my Android experience on setup, well, Apple did not take this feedback seriously back at that point. Google has... And people are finding out just how to use their screen reader. And if you don't want to use the tutorial, there's a skip button. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're getting to the point now where other companies are starting to listen to user feedback and they're working to develop the things that are being requested. And I know that's not necessarily how Apple functions, but, um, you know, these types of things where they get feedback feedback over and over again and they don't develop it now they're starting to risk losing customers who, you know, I would say a voice, the voiceover experience is still more polished than Android mm-hmm. uh, with TalkBack in a lot of ways, not all of them, but in many, but if you don't have a, a sort of an experience that's polished in the sense that an individual knows how to utilize these tutorials or utilize a screen reader, I mean, um, they're gonna turn away specifically for that reason. You can make all of the most amazing features ever, but if nobody knows how to use them, there's really no point.
1: Yeah, I think as well, uh, another thing, again, I, I, I don't think we, we won't keep coming back to like TalkBack versus voiceover, but it is something they do as well, is if you go into the TalkBack settings, there's a sort of what's new. So it'll direct you to what are the, what are the changes in the most recent updates? Because I find when we get updates to iOS, um, and there's voiceover improvements or new features, we often are just having to look for them and dig around the settings and find them. They're not telling us, hey, this is the great new feature. Sometimes, yes, they'll do an article or they'll a press release about something like screen recognition or they'll tell us about it on the podcast. But in terms of your ordinary user who turns on their phone or updates their phone from iOS 15 to 16, they're not t- given any sort of a splash screen or given any kind of pointer towards this is the improvements we've made to voiceover.
2: Well, you know, not only with um, the tutorial, when you start the screen reader, how about when there's a new update, especially out to the public, do what TalkBack does. If somebody wants to know what's brand new in TalkBack 13.1, Google has a web page on that. Now, Scott Davert writes these articles once a year, <laughs> <laughs> but I would I would rather Apple do it, and um, they know it. They're the ones who put it together, so why not develop the... Uh, you know, the information so that people don't have to go hunting for it. Um, It's an interesting thing going on here, you know, the, and I don't want to make this too much about Android, but looking at how Google handles feedback versus how Apple does, it's, I see major disadvantages in both camps. Um, But, you know, the overall point is if they gave us a blow by blow, okay, here are the five new features or however many they are for voiceover users. Um, you know, and you can just kind of click through it just like they have when, uh, new apps come out, right. If they have major updates, I know my bank does this a lot where you have like a welcome screen that says, you know, okay, this is one new feature. And then you go to the next page and it talks about another one and then you're done and that's it. So, um, I really think that that needs to be developed as well.
1: Perhaps we've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but um, it is definitely an interesting area. And I think kind of bringing it back to the to the survey and to the results where you had you know four point five on features and four point two in experience. I think that's reflected um in what we talked about and in the in the comments. They're generally you know, a decent, a very good feature set, but a bit unrefined when it comes to experience and and the bugs. I think one, some of the bigger bugs that have kind of hung around is a problem as well. So we have the likes of, I know for me, the focus jumping bug, where I go to the home screen, I tap WhatsApp, I double tap. And while I'm double tapping, the focus jumps up to the app store and I've opened the app store unintentionally. And um, those kinds of bugs that are around for years. Um, is that something you guys have seen as well, that there's certain bugs that just seem to not get fixed?
0: Sure. Um, You know, I was curious. I took a look at our bug tracker and see what it says today. And as of this today of this podcast, there are still 29 bugs just related in iOS that just remain to be dangled. And those have been there for years. And it does seem like there are always a few that seems over and over and over. We see it over and over and over and never gets done. It seems like. And we'll talk more about this in in, in the um, accessibility um, bug fixes report card. But it just seems like they do a somewhat good job nailing down the critical and moderate, but the minor ones, it seems it just hangs around forever.
1: Yeah. Things like, yeah, voiceover not working on a widget or something like that takes a year or two years to fix if they get fixed at all, I, I can think of. Um, I'm going to finish this section with a positive comment Uh, Jeff had said, as a totally blind person, um, voiceover gives me independence and something I can depend on. These capabilities have allowed me to become much more independent and productive. So it is also people find, you know, life-changingly amazing as well to have these uh, little devices as well. So I did want to reflect, you know, again, one of the really positive comments. Okay, so we can move on to Braille on iOS. And Scott, I'm sure you'll have plenty to say on this one. Um, no, not at all.
2: I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> we
1: had a 3.9 for Braille features and a 3.7 for Braille user experience. In both cases, the most common uh, score given was a, a four. So again, pretty strong scores. not quite as good as voiceover. So Scott, can you think why, why might it be that Braille is maybe... not a poor score by any stretch, almost four, but lagging a little bit behind the voiceover experience. Um,
2: In terms of Braille features, they have a really, really robust set of features that really allow a Braille user to mostly take advantage of all of the features of voiceover. And for a deafblind individual who doesn't hear anything at all and doesn't see anything at all, Having that braille access is a huge game changer, a huge, huge life changer. It's not only speech users that have this um, experience, but it's also braille users to a lesser extent. And the lesser extent part of that is wrapped up in the experience. And I noted in my comments regarding the 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 experience that yeah, it's it's great that we have all these features, but the problem is is that the braille or part of this is not always taken into account. For example, um, you know, we have all these, uh, like the notification center bug, which came out with the public release of 16.3. You know, um, that's a real problem when you go to your notification center and the Braille display just drops the connection. And, you know, that didn't have to even be something that a Braille only user would find i mean you know it makes the like bluetooth disconnecting noise on your iphone on ios so even if you were just testing it and you had voiceover running you know you the they still would have caught that um and i understand that public releases may not be able to be delayed for a small set of users but a warning about it would have really been helpful because um i know that Braille users are definitely a subset of a subset, but it does impact a lot of people. And when you are dependent on your notification center to, well, keep you notified, I mean, it's a real problem. I'm struggling with it now because uh, I can't go to my notification center. Every time I do, the connection drops and then I have to wait for it to pick back up or try to try to use what limited hearing I have left to do it. So,
1: And when that comes out in a, a media release, I'm sure it's extra... I Suppose unexpected, um, you know, yeah. and, and a dot three.
2: Um, and in terms of just general, um, general concerns, if you will, we have a lot of features that have come out. I just listed 14 and 15, uh, iOS 14 and 15. I didn't want to go back further than that. Um, I, I do have a life outside of Apple Viz, um, <laughs> but. You know, uh, like when the screen recognition feature was developed, that was iOS 14. You know, you had it had a Bluetooth keyboard command and um, all that. But when you used when you programmed or remapped a key to work with the Braille display, it just didn't work. You know, and in iOS 15, we had the quick settings area. Now, a Bluetooth keyboard command was available upon upon public release. Obviously, a gesture was available, but there was no keyboard command for a Braille display user, nor was there a way to set up one. Um, And I list other examples in the article, but the overall point is that Braille is not being taken as seriously as voiceover, and these are some of the examples as to how we know that's the case. And I think what really needs to happen is they need someone, a QA person or someone who does not use speech to test these things so that, you know, a bug you might not notice as a speech user, if you're Braille only, um, you know, there's a chance that someone other than a volunteer will catch it.
1: It, it It's interesting. Like the, oh, Sorry, I was going to say that, Um, yeah, the if I was kind of summing up the sentiment, it seems to be that, you know, it's, it's great in many ways. There's lots of great features, but the, there's a bit of a lack of trust now um, there. So like we had a comment from Diana saying, um, I use Braille almost exclusively on my iPhone and it's excellent. But every time there's an update, I'm concerned. You know, so people are kind of afraid to make that jump, especially. That's true to a point of voiceover, but I think it's especially true with Braille.
2: Absolutely. In fact, uh, in my job, um, I work with a lot of individuals who are deafblind, but I also work with professionals in the field. And when a new iOS update comes out, every time they all email me and they ask, should I update? Should I update? And I'm like, well, you can, but, you know, and I don't know everything. I'm I'm just a tester and there are very few Braille testers. But, um, you know, what do you say? It's actually kind of a responsibility when you have people depending on the operating system and depending on that hardware for everything from communicating over the phone, contacting emergency services to... You know, you name it. It's a great thing. But I even wrote this in one of my responses later in the report card that it's it's a it comes with a huge responsibility.
1: Absolutely. Um, And these are expensive devices, not just the iPhone, but the Braille display you want. You know, you want and deserve, you know, to get this to get the most from them. Yeah. I mean, it's
2: some of it is on the Braille display side. You know, like uh, there's a, there's some bugs with, with the humanware, uh, the devices on the humanware uh, firmware, which includes the e-reader from NLS, uh, you know, and I'm not really sure what happened there. Uh, I guess even if I did know, I couldn't exactly disclose that information publicly. But point is, is that, you know, there are these major bugs. And uh, as, as a voiceover user, it's much easier to, for example... Uh, let's say you want to insert a line break. With those particular displays, there's no way to do it. Um, you can try emulating the option command and then hitting eight to insert a new line. But some people are not finding it reliable at all. I'm only finding it partially reliable. So some of this does come back to the Braille display manufacturers, but a lot of it is on voiceover. You know, once that connection is made, typically, um, you know, the screen reader drives the Braille display.
1: Mm -hmm. One other comment, actually, I'll just call out is Sandra, who spoke about multi-language support as well, that um, maybe there's a a bit of a gap there around, you know, in her case, German being supported as effectively as, say, U.S. English.
2: It's different in German. Um, Contracted German Braille, I don't know a whole lot about it. I have friends who use it. Uh, I myself obviously don't. I don't know German, so that would be kind of silly. Uh, but contracted German Braille is a bit more complex than English Braille. But, you know, this has been an ongoing issue for years. I think the first time I heard about it was when I was over in Denmark in 2017. And I was talking to uh, a deafblind uh, guy from Germany, and he was telling me about how contracted German Braille is just not, you know, you really can't use it, basically. So, um, yeah, that's that's been a problem around for a long time. Interesting.
1: I'm sure we'll have plenty more to say about Braille on the other platforms but we will move on now to low vision features um where the features rating was 3.9 uh, average with a most frequent rating of 4 and 3.7 for the user experience so actually the same scores as Braille now none of us on this podcast are low vision users i have some usable vision but not enough these days to utilize the the low vision features in any real way, but dabbling with magnifier at the odd time. Um, but I suppose if I could, you know, sum up from the comments that we've seen, it's kind of there are some good features, but maybe not enough, um, and it hasn't maybe moved on since it was originally um, implemented or or um, developed, especially the likes of magnifier or zoom, I should call it, and. Again, a bit of a last lack of consistency. So, you know, we had a Mr. Greaves saying, you know, that it was, it will work really well in one app, but maybe not in another app, you know, or he, they discovered that when they switched, when they were using, um, you know, Zoom and large font and those kind of features there were certain parts of apps that maybe were not visible to them and not reachable at all but then when they turned that off and switched to using speech was like oh there's a whole section of this app i didn't even know was there so maybe that kind of lack of consistency um in how it's implemented some of that will be on the third-party developers i would think as well just like with voiceover on how well they implement it Um, thomas did anything jump out to you from the comments around low vision
0: yeah there was a lot of comment about the um Smart invert, too, seems like it's inconsistent with that when I know a lot of the low vision depend on the dark mode. And it seems that there are some inconsistency issue with that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, that smart invert issue has been around for quite a long time, hasn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. This has been an ongoing thing. And I know they've been trying to correct it, but it's still an issue with that particular area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We had Jamie here as well, like, yeah, talking about that, not just the smart contrast bug, but uh, kind of an inconsistency in how it works that maybe it's not as effective as it could be. So you go into, say, the news app and turn on smart inverse um, and, you know, it doesn't get, the. it ruins the contrast a little bit on certain areas (laughs) and that kind of thing. So it's not maybe giving the the desired effect. So um, yeah, that kind of attention to detail maybe. But I mean 3.9, It's again, it's a decent score. It's not um, it's not that people are, are slating the, the low vision features, but maybe that bit of refinement again is is missing on 3.7 user experience. And I think there's an issue there. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have, have seen this sentiment before, but for people who want to use voiceover and Zoom together, that um, they don't always play nice, although they are Officially designed to.
0: Right. You know, one more point I want to make as well is that I get to give Apple kudos, and I know they've been trying because, you know, within the new iOS that we got this year, they introduced the um low vision activities for yeah. that reason. And that is probably why, like you said, it's third party developers are the ones that kind of at a fault, not implementing the system wide settings. So they got to do something. So they at least came up with the low vision activities that allows you to, when this app loads, then it take kicks in what they define. But I think some people are saying that it lags. There are some lags. It should be instantaneous. So mm-hmm. um, that's, I just want to point that out.
1: Yeah. I've even seen that I use even with third party, like in Safari, I, I've, because safari doesn't support dark mode as such but there are third-party plugins like noir n-o-i-r-e which will implement a dark mode but you see this kind of a flash of white before the dark comes in that kind of thing so um i've kind of seen that behavior um they also have and it wasn't kind of borne out maybe in the comments so much but the magnifier app as well has seen some attention hasn't it over the last couple of years
3: oh yeah door detection and everything object detection, people detection with LIDAR if you have LIDAR, people detection and door detection. Obviously if you don't have a LIDAR iPhone, that's not gonna help you, but it's something I believe that has been baked into the magnifier app. But even
1: for using it as a video magnifier for reading print, um they've you know improved the controls and and that kind of thing as well. Um, I'm not sure how widely used that feature is, but I know video magnifiers are very popular in the low vision community. So I'd be I'd always be interested to learn more about how many people are are now using an able to use an iPhone instead of buying a third party, you know, um, video magnifier. Um, okay. So I think that's it for iOS. We can move on to iPad OS. Um, some of it's going to be, of course, the same. iPad is essentially the bigger brother of iOS. So there's, you know, we probably don't need to spend quite as long on it because it'll, it'll, a lot of the same kind of uh, stuff is applicable here, but there are some differences too. Um, So for voiceover features, it got a 4.2 as opposed to the 4.5 on iOS and 4.0 as opposed opposed to the 4.2 that iOS got for user experience. So the score is still very strong. Um, It's right up there, but just a little bit off iOS. Um, I think maybe where it falls back. My reading anyway of the scores and of the comments is it's very similar to iOS and what it does the same as iOS is great, but where it falls down is it's not adding that more. It's not saying, okay, the iPad is capable of more and actually building on it, if that makes sense. And uh, for example, things like, you know, for me, uh, I would expect more from keyboard support on an iPad. I think Scott, you talked about this as well, about you'd love to use your iPad as a computer replacement. With, um, yep. with, say, the Magic Keyboard, and I'm the same, but it just can't be done.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was um, just really sluggish when you load, say, I don't know, like a 12-page paper that you're writing maybe for school or something, or, you know, one of my articles, sometimes those come to like 10 pages. But the problem is, is when you load them either on the iPhone or the iPad, um Keyboards are very slow to respond. Once you have a lot of text, if they respond at all, the the longer the text, the less responsive the keyboard becomes. This is also true of braille displays, by the way. Um, and so it between that and the issues with the um I'm trying to remember the name of the feature uh full keyboard support. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. So you know, I mean, why would you not have? voiceover working with full keyboard support. I mean, those should go hand in hand, right? Um, but unfortunately, they don't. And and that's another issue um, that impacts voiceover users. You know, there are some keyboard commands that are available in full keyboard access that aren't available in voiceover. So um, why aren't, you know, And until that happens, I really don't think uh, between that and editing long documents and you know navigating with voiceover by paragraphs, it's 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 tough. Um, you know, if if you want to write a two or three page essay, you might be okay, um, especially on the iPad, but anything beyond that and things really start growing drawing to a crawl very quickly. Um I don't know if any of you have had experiences on the iPad or the iPhone with the Bluetooth keyboard, but I'd be curious uh, if you guys are feeling the same way. And I know there were also, I, I think there were a couple of other comments that spoke to these things as well.
1: Does anyone else want to come in on that before I do?
3: Um, I don't have an iPad. I, I used to have one, but I got rid of it when I finished college. But my take on that device is still from what i've heard about it and what i've been following as ipad os has matured and developed is that it's sort of a it's still a compromised device between a computer and a phone so in my experience when i had an ipad i found it could do a, a lot of things good it couldn't do a lot of things great it couldn't do many things great and that I wouldn't choose to use my iPad when I had a Mac and an iPhone because for some things, if I was writing an essay, for example, in school, I'd use my Mac. And if I w- wanted to, say, use something in an a- in a third-party mobile app or wanted to use seeing AI or I wanted to scan a document, I'd use my iPhone. So the iPad, like I got it when I went into college because I figured, you know, have uh, Mac, iPhone, iPad, the trifecta of Apple products for the productive student. Um, but what I end up f- finding was that the iPad really had a very small use case for me. And I think that's based on the comments and what I've heard from other sources. That's still the sort of the prevailing narrative that iPad OS is and the iPad hardware is underutilized. It's underdeveloped.
1: Yeah, it goes beyond accessibility, that, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, I would I would agree. Like, I use mine. And, and in one sense, I would say it's the device I couldn't give up of all my Apple products. Is I use it every single day, but it's mostly, or pretty much, but it's mostly to watch YouTube or Netflix or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not when I want to do the work, like you say, when I want to write something or record something or anything like that, it's my Mac when I'm listening to, to books or using even email and stuff and web browsing is actually easier on the phone than it is on the iPad, though I would do some browsing. So um, yeah, I would I would go along with that. It's a brilliant device, but could be more. And that's the thing. And that's probably why I think the score is a fair one. It's like a 4.2. It is an absolutely brilliant device, but yeah, it's it's got potential to be more. Tom, do you have any thoughts on iPads that you want to come
0: in with? I mean, I agree with everything that everybody said, and that is pretty much, I think, where iPad falls is pretty much what we recapped, and that is, it is a hybrid. It is, needs to be an in-between an iPhone and a Mac, meaning that I I wonder if the standard voice over iOS is what's causing a draw down or limiting what the iPad OS could do is almost like they need to have an enhanced version of the voiceover for iPad OS alone, meaning that you get more keys like a Mac. That's what we need. We need more Mac keys availability on these iPad OS to make it where we could use this exclusively on keyboard because essentially if you're going to have an iPad, you have it for several reasons. One, like you said, Dave, it's for visual. It's big real estate. You can see things bigger, but for those that are blind, well, then you start to kind of hatch things. And so we think, well, I want to use this as a computer. I want to use a keyboard with this and that's what most users are using it for. And if you don't give us the rich, or the richer feature of the keyboard functionality, then it's not going to go legs like one of this.
1: Yeah, I actually called that out as well, like in sense of like first letter navigation, which is the most basic expectation when you're using a screen reader with a keyboard that you go into a menu and you can hit hit a key and it'll go to that thing. And that's not supported when you're using the iPad with a keyboard or the iPhone indeed. But again, I think the the keyboard matchup to, seems to, to fit with iPad more so. I think that there there are people even, again, beyond accessibility for whom they do want to use it as a computer because they only want a basic computer. Um, You know, I'd have family members who have no interest in having a laptop beyond maybe their work laptop, but on a personal basis, certainly they don't need a full-on laptop for anything they do, but they want something more than just their phone. And that iPad in between device is perfect for them. But when they do need to do that a little bit more, you'd want to be able to connect a keyboard and things like that. Um, cool. So, on the Braille side, um, again, it's probably very similar to iPhone, I would think. Um, the features has got a 3.8 and 3.5 for user experience, so it's similar scores. It's marginally lower than what it got on iPhone. Um, Scott, do you think there's anything specific to call out on iPad? The comments didn't really point me towards anything specifically um on the iPad side versus iOS when it comes to braille.
2: I think we pretty much covered everything, you know, all all of the bugs that you find on iOS, you also find on iPadOS, which makes sense, you know, yeah, like we've been saying, you know, one is sort of a derivative of the other. Um, There's really not a whole lot to add other than, you know, um, you want something like a tablet that can do some of the heavy lifting, again, you know, with a braille display, um, or a keyboard—that's sometimes quite a challenge, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, that would be really the only thing
1: I would add. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so if we move on to low vision, which I think is an interesting one on iPad, Tom, you you mentioned that you know it's a device that's very attractive to people with low vision. I think because that big that big screen and the real estate. Um, so the features, though, uh, for low vision on iPad got three point five and 3.4 for user experience. Um this is a device I think that has huge potential to do, to to do really well like for exactly the reason I just mentioned. Um perhaps the score is a bit lower than what it got on iOS because expect- expectations are a bit higher. That's conjecture on my part, but you know the and maybe the impact of the kind of the where it falls down is greater on the on the iPad because again people you know, yeah, expect um the iPad to be fantastic from that point of view and it can be so good. So any any thoughts on that? And have you had a read of the comments on what people are saying about the iPad with low vision?
0: No, I think it's pretty much ditto pretty much with the iOS. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's pretty much
2: the same thing. And obviously I'm not low vision, so um I really don't want to add any other comments because anything that I would add would be, you know, hearsay. So mm. um yeah I think it's it's pretty much um, you know, iOS and iPad OS are, again, they're derivatives of, you know, iPad OS is a derivative of iOS. So a lot of problems that uh, are on one will be on the other. But I think that you're absolutely correct in, Dave, in that the expectations of the iPad are higher, you know, because it is a larger screen um, and it's an additional device. And if you're just going to buy another iPhone, well, why don't you just buy another iPhone, you know, so... Uh, I think you're correct that the expectations around the iPad are a bit higher than on the iPhone with some tasks, and that's where the the rating difference comes in.
1: Cool. Cool. So we can move on to the Mac, um, which is definitely an interesting conversation, I think. Um, on the voiceover features, um, our community gave it a 3.6. So again, that compares with a 4.5 on iOS for voiceover features and 3.3 for the user experience it seems to be quite mixed feelings in terms of the features and and um you know how it operates some feel it's been kind of neglected versus iOS some people really like it and even there's a whole debate Tyler isn't there about like whether even how it operates is good versus say Jaws on Windows, the kind of the flat design versus that Jaws has for, and Windows generally versus Mac with the interaction and uninteraction. An and that is that is that just purely subjective or do you think well how do you think people feel about um voiceover on on Mac?
3: It is. Well I tutorial. think they do have a tutorial, you're right. Um Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I think what the, there are several issues here, and I'm going to do my best to keep it um condensed. I think that, like on iOS, there are a lot of interesting features. Apple's come up with a lot of interesting ideas for macOS over the years. Like, I mean, it was the macOS was actually the first operating system to have a fully featured screen reader built in, and with subsequent versions, there were major and minor refinements, but it was like You'd have a refi- you'd have a new feature added, and then it wouldn't be touched for several years. Bugs would accumulate, features would stagnate, and you know it became it would become to a point where people would stop using it or wouldn't find the utility of it because of reliability. Um an example of that, this with Ventura, which is Ventura is an interesting story because I did notice some it did fix a number of things for me in terms of performance. For macOS, you know, for a long time, I've had some issues on multiple Macs with performance where voiceover would just be slower than what I'd expect from a very powerful computer. And like on Monterey, macOS Monterey on a 2018 MacBook Air. So 1.6 gigahertz Intel Core i5 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, not a supercomputer by any means, but certainly powerful enough to use a screen reader to browse the web. I got Safari is not responding almost constantly. And in my, I think that's, it's kind of like the focus jumping bug on iOS where it's been around in some form or another for several years now. And I think it's at the engineering level, it's not one bug. I think it's a a sort of a perfect storm of things that for different users will result in this fairly non-specific symptom. So I've heard comments that people describe where it makes their computers almost unusable. For me, it didn't do that much, but it would come on and then it would last for a couple seconds, then it would come back with Ventura. And when I got my M2 MacBook Air, that combination, I very rarely see Safari as not responding anymore. So that's a positive development. But there is an issue again with features in term like for example text checker that's a potentially useful feature and i think it mimics or um takes cues from text analyzer in jaws you know where mm-hmm. it can identify misspellings uh, repeated spaces capitalization errors etc but it, it's not clear even how it's supposed to work and if it's reliable so there's no default command, so the user has to configure a command in a Keyboard Commander, you know, to make it work. And then once they do, in certain places, th- there are reports that you know, in, in the beginning, that it wasn't identifying clear misspellings. For me, I didn't have that issue, but I did find when I even when I intentionally misplaced, you know, capital letters to test it, it wouldn't detect that. And in, try using it in Safari. Good luck, because. Even if you're interacting with the text fields, use text checker, and it's going to identify errors or misspellings in the web page that's not editable. Um, so that's just a point of, you know, of it needs more refinement. And I think that's coming back to my original point here. I think that's an issue where refinement and consistency, that's where Mac OS really um, needs work uh, more substantially, say, than compared to iOS. Because iOS, it by and large, is very consistent. Whereas, if you use Macs on or apps on macOS, the way you use them from app to app is different. For an example, would be like Apple's media apps, where there's constant in and out of collections and unlabeled sections and things, and it's not clear to users what needs to be interacted with, what you don't need to interact with, what you can just press via space on. Um, And that's where hierarchical navigation, it could be better, you know, it could be more consistent, or at least you should be able to move between containers more easily than stop interacting, moving, interacting like a puzzle. And and muscle memory does help in my case. I'm a Mac user, it's my daily driver, and I have developed muscle memory for the things I need to use it for. But it, it could be better in terms of the amount of keystrokes that I have to do. In compared to if I'd want to do the same thing in Windows. No, I'm not a huge fan of Windows, but that's another topic, another for another day. But it seems that the, the amount of keystrokes that a user has to do and the unpredictability from app to app or use case to use case, it it makes for a general um a lack of harmony, a lack of cohesion that If Apple developed their first-party apps to work with voiceover in a a similar way, in a more consistent way, I think that could go a long ways in making the Mac experience uh, more uniform and more desirable, particularly for those who love their iPhones and maybe their iPads and want to go with a Mac or just maybe just don't like Windows but can't because of that fairly steep curve and unpredictability is if they're serious professionals or whatever – Are they going to be able to do what they need to with this operating system? And I think that's where the hesitation happens.
1: I think that first party app thing is really interesting because I've actually made the same criticism of Google with things like TalkBack, where sometimes I'll find that, and I know that's gone back to mobile, but I'll find like Google News works better with voiceover than it does with TalkBack. Like they've implemented actions better and things like that. It's like, how could they get it wrong (laughs) in their own first party app? And you could say the same about Apple maybe here on Mac is that, maybe their their own apps aren't even as polished as they could be compared to say even how they are on iOS. Is that fair?
3: Yes. And I think also there are different, obviously, I I hesitate to speak too much into the internal politics of the company, but different teams obviously will develop these apps. There's core apps, accessibility, media, and I think they may have slightly different design philosophies um, to give an example in voiceover utility if you want to go into the keyboard commander and delete a key, you know you focus on something in the table in macOS most apps you can press the delete key and you get the dialog confirming if you want to delete in voiceover utility you can't do that you have to move to the remove button click it and then confirm and that's apparently expected behavior according to my bug report another example is the text checker if i if you press command semicolon on in a document to check spelling It will voiceover will announce the word, the misspelled word, and you'll be select. The text will be selected. For text checker, you select a misspelling in the menu. You know a voiceover feature, but the text isn't selected. You got to do another keystroke. So again, there's that lack of cohesion between. I think maybe voiceover. Those who who are developing voiceover maybe have the philosophy that key the actions of keystrokes should be relatively conservative so for example if you press the delete key is that you know too destructive but then that's different than say other aspects of the operating system where if like in the mail app for example if you press the delete key on a message the message will be deleted and for a user a user might not be you know, asking themselves, okay, who's developing this? Is this a Swift UI <laughs> app, a Mac Catalyst app, a app kit app? Is it developed by the voiceover user experience team? Is it developed by core apps? You know, um and I think that also um uh somewhat detracts from it's the overall cohesion of the Mac UX.
1: Yeah. We had uh, one or two comments that seem to bear that out as well. Like Chris said iOS feels more polished whereas Mac VoiceOver has maybe stagnated but that he sees signs of improvement in Ventura which is good but then we had another an anonymous one that said my great my great hope is that Apple will just scrap VoiceOver and start over it feels <laughs> like it feels like a 2010 app on a 2023 machine
0: which i think no, is an interesting one Totally agree on that that's i that's an, that's an understatement i mean you're right i mean if you look ios simplicity and then you go to the mac and i get it it's a totally different platform and it's got to be more complex and it's got to be a little bit more steeper curve to learn but it shouldn't be that steep um if they could do it on the iphone they can certainly can do it on a mac i i totally agree with that i think the voiceover needs a complete overhaul on the mac that's just my two cents
1: Yeah, it's interesting. This is where I get into the mix, because that's one comment. And then another comment said, I find the user experience much less stress inducing and easier to use than JAWS. (laughs) So, somebody else will tell you to complete that.
0: Wow.
3: I wonder what they think of NVDA, because, again, not to get on a tangent here, I don't like JAWS. Uh, I think it's cumbersome and kind of bloated. Um, But... If I'm using Windows, I'd much rather use NVDA because I find that's it's more lightweight and less complex. So I'm curious what that user would. Um, yeah,
1: I generally agree with that, but yeah, I kind of. I'd still. I'd rather navigate if I have to do something on the web. I would rather go to my Windows machine than my Mac, and that shouldn't mm-hmm. be the case for something that basic. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Braille on the Mac, Scott. Do you have a Mac uh, these days, or you have had Macs? I think. I have,
2: um, I don't really feel like I can do a lot of commenting because, uh, I mean, the reasons why I left the Mac were mostly to do with, you know, dongles being required for every little thing. I have a nice Windows machine here with several USB ports, both A and C. Um, so I don't have to to worry about, you know, oh, I got to remember to take this cable and that cable and the other cable. That was the main thing that pulled me away from the Mac. Um, you know, some of the braille issues also I think would what, what finally made me just go, no, I'm going with Windows was um, but I don't remember for sure which operating system it was even anymore. But I remember there was on Safari at one point when you started interacting with HTML content, um, you couldn't pan with the braille display. So I'm like, you know what? No. Um I don't have these issues with um NVDA, so and NVDA and JAWS I use about equally on, uh, on the Windows side, um, they both have their problems. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, man, NVDA is perfect. <laughs> Nothing is. Uh, and I say this frequently, humans aren't perfect. We're developing this technology, therefore the technology won't be perfect. Um, interesting thing I noticed here, it's not necessarily related to the Mac, it seems like the smaller the device, the bigger the rating. Would you? Would, I think
1: that's a. Uh, no! I think accurate the watch lost, trend, right? I think the watch lost out. We'll come to the watch, but it's not quite as high as the as the iPhone. So huh, okay, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it's it's true in the back. And actually, when you talk about you know simplicity and stuff, I would much rather if I need to change a setting, I would much rather go into Voiceover Utility than to try and get into those Jaws Settings Center. My mother of God, like. <laughs> So,
2: <laughs> The setting center in JAWS is more bloated than me after I had a big steak
3: dinner. <laughs> <laughs> awesome don't I tell player. you, yeah. I mean, JAWS has its its pros, don't get me wrong, especially, I mean, if you're a Braille user, I can't speak to that, but I know some Braille users do prefer JAWS over alternatives. But yeah, I do find the, the bloat, that's what drove me away from that, that yeah. product.
1: It works great yeah. it works, though. It's one of those. And, and you know, Macu is, yeah. again, with voiceover, it's similar. It'll... You and you have your muscle memory, like you said, Tyler, can work great, but um yeah, probably does need a, a good hard look. <laughs> um from Braille, Braille point of view, by the way, I got a three point three features and a three point two for um for user experience. Uh I think the overall sentiment is great when it works, but unreliable. One um, thing
2: I will say for the Mac is it is pretty cool. I can go into any Apple store, plug in my braille display and start voiceover and have immediate voiceover so, uh, and braille support.
1: Yeah, that's pretty You
2: cool. know, Windows is not there. Um, unfortunately iOS isn't there quite yet, uh, but it 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 is truly a plug and play experience on the Mac. Is that the experience you want? Well, that's a different story, but the point is it's there. Um, and no, I don't really feel like uh, with Ventura uh, and the two most recent operating system updates, like I can comment uh, because I've looked at it, but I haven't really spent a lot of time with it.
1: Mm. That plug and play yeah. thing is, it's huge in fairness. And, you know, they were the first, as Tyler said, to have a, a built-in screen reader and that plug and play with the Bluetooth, like there's an awful lot to be said for that. And, you know, deserves yeah. credit. Oh And
3: yeah. one, one last Positive thing about the Mac, I've just noticed, at least anecdotally, with my M2, my Apple Silicon Mac, it is fast. The reaction time with if I open an app, for example, it's almost like opening an app on iOS, where it just comes up. Whereas, I feel like with my Intel Mac, if I even System Settings, if I open System Settings, takes a minute. System Settings is not responding. Rarely, but happened occasionally. Um, and then it would come up, you know, the table would come up. Whereas with my M2 Mac, I hit it and it's there. It's an unexpectedly satisfying experience yeah. Um. that I think, it, but that's what, you know, Um. And if they could generally, you know, further improve and generalize that performance experience throughout the operating system, that would be a dream to use.
1: Yeah. And make sure the voiceover keeps up, I guess. Yes. Um Cool, cool. Um, on the low vision side on Mac, um, we had a 3.5 for low vision features and a 3 point4 for user experience. And to give a quick overview, um, I suppose again, similar to iOS, it works well, but they could do more. So we had a user who you know who talked about how Windows 10 and Windows 11 have really moved on when it comes to low vision features with more, more features and more reliability across the system, whereas maybe the Zoom on Mac has stagnated a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of bringing in new features and really, yeah, moving that forward. Um, but others have said it's very intuitive on the Mac and really easy to use. So, um, definitely positives in there, but uh, opportunities to to develop more. I don't know. Did anyone else spot anything else that I haven't there within the within the comments? Mm-hmm.
2: No, those are the ones I would have picked too.
1: Cool, cool. So um, keep doing what you are doing, but more. I think Sales really ahead of it on uh, on low vision for Mac. Um, and again, as somebody pointed out, that there aren't a third party really solutions, so you haven't got Zoom Text anymore on the Mac, for example. So it's really the onus is on Apple to really drive that forward, and to you know, if it's going to be a first party solution, then they have to make sure that it's really competitive and it really works. Um, so we can move on from the Mac then to watch OS. So on features, they had a 4.1. So I think that's the second best score. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a 3.9 on the, uh, UX. The oh, kind of broad sentiment is, you know, it's, it's very good voiceover, but, and the main issue that I kind of saw coming out of it was really just responsiveness and, performance, but as opposed to kind of features that, uh, people are, um, are looking for improvement on, but that on, on, feature, from a feature point of view, it seems to be pretty, pretty popular. Any, any thoughts on that or did anything jump out from the survey to you guys?
0: No, I, I agree with that assessment that the grade level sounds about right. I mean, having voiceover on this little device, like in a watch, it's just amazing itself. So I think that itself should be a pat on the back for Apple making that incredible. And now that we can choose our own voices, that just makes things even better. So if we want to use Alex, you can use Alex. where before we were stuck with the Siri voices. So I think the implementation, the features are doing very well. Um mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to processing, sure. I I I I can see how the screen reader kind of gonna hit the processing speed and so things get a little bit laggy and not as responsive um i can say for each version or um generation of watch it gets better and better um but there's still certain areas that just seems just a little bit slow but i to me that's i kind of expect that it's it's a watch it's not a um a super power computer even though it is got a great processor on it but i find the 4.1 grade sufficient
1: yeah i'm with you on that i guess um like i'm using a series 4 watch still and it's still holding up pretty well yeah it's not super fast but for a a machine you know for a device that's designed to be sort of glanced at to do quick things on you know as opposed to I'm not reading my email now. Maybe some people do want to read their messages in their email and their Twitter feeds, but I wouldn't have no interest in doing that on my watch. So maybe it's again what you want to get from the watch. But for me, with yeah. those just short
0: interactions, it, it does pretty well. I think you're right. I think short interaction is perfect. Now, if you like you said, if you want to read your email, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be slow, and I think that's just to be expected. And I don't think that's a voiceover issue.
2: No, yep. it's it's a general it's a general you know thing, um, and the other thing to keep in mind too. This is um a much newer product than the iPhone, right? First watch, the zero edition I think was twenty fifteen if I remember correctly. The spring of twenty fifteen, so yep. it is a newer product. And um, but I will say that I think the performance of Voiceover even on the uh. Fifth edition I have still pretty good. Here we are, watch OS9. Um now it's not perfect, again, like nothing is, but it's it's pretty darn good. And kudos to them for uh developing some of these things that no other smart watches are developing, such as braille support.
1: Yes, which takes us on to I was gonna shout out, uh to you for that one, Scott anyway, four point three they got on the braille and four point two for user experience. So I think yeah, you one of the the standout comments was your own, Scott, um, commending them for having Braille on a watch.
2: Yeah, um,
1: and you know
2: the the experience, partially because the operating system is less complex. Um, I would say in some cases, um, Braille works a little better on WatchOS than iOS, as long as you're not trying to run, uh, you know, a display that is not supported. Because uh, if the display doesn't support low energy, I think that's the protocol they're using, then they won't be able to, you know, the low energy Bluetooth, then they're not supporting it. And the reason for that in my, I haven't been given one, but I assume the reason is because man, that thing will eat your battery like it's nothing. Uh, so do hearing aids by the way. Um, But how cool is that? Right. I can go anywhere and listen to music from my watch and it sounds amazing in my ears. I mean, I just, you know, I, I can't even, that's, that's great. And now that I am able to connect my hearing aids, um, I'm more liable to use the watch. I don't use the watch for certain activities because it's just faster for me to listen to my hearing aids now that I'm able to do that. But um, the point is, is the accessibility is there. And it's clear that uh, it it's will continue to evolve. Now, I will, um, since I brought up hearing aids, say that there is no MFI support for hearing aids. So, uh, the only hearing aids supported directly are those that have an agnostic Bluetooth profile, meaning there's no proprietary stuff going on. Uh, In those cases, you can pair your hearing aids with um, Bluetooth, just the regular Bluetooth, and it'll show up and behave as though it's a Bluetooth speaker. One other feature that I want to bring up that I like, and I'm probably in a minority on this, but uh, Taptic Time is even after all these years, really cool. I mean, I wish there was a way to stop voiceover, um, from being activated by accident, but it seemed like a lot of the time, even when I double tap, um, you know, it still wakes the watch up, but I'm a huge Morse code user and, uh, I'm sure that was probably a pretty hard one to program. So thanks for that Apple. I, uh, and I'm not being sarcastic. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that, uh, the Morris code, um, time taptic time function. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work correctly when it's sped up.
1: Yeah, I do. I do love that they have that to time. Um, and that was definitely an example where I think they listened to feedback because I don't think it was in the first version, but it was added pretty quickly. Um, I find it doesn't work as reliably as I'd like, so sometimes. You know, if I'm in a meeting and I'm trying to just subtly tap the wrist under the desk, it just won't work for me. You know what I mean? I seem to have to like lift the the wrist a little bit to get it to work or something like that. But um, so I think the implementation for me personally, either I'm doing it wrong or um, the implementation could be improved. But yeah, it is generally speaking a great feature. So uh, on the low vision side, we don't have a whole lot to say on watch, to be honest. I think, you know, the number of responses around low vision on this device was quite low. So I had a 3.0 um, for both features and user experience, and I didn't glean any particular um, comments. Um, so... this oh, probably not. It has
2: such a big stuff. screen. Everybody who's low vision <laughs> would want <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> it. Exactly.
0: It makes me wonder if, if it got a 3.0... If that's realistic, because like Scott was hinting, yeah, you, you got this itty bitty screen. It's going to be extremely difficult to be able to do a lot of low vision um, technology on that. And I mean, you can only magnify so much. You can only have the text so much. So it's not really, I it's just my two cents, but it, I it's just don't think an Apple Watch is an ideal situation for low vision folks
1: yeah that's probably as good a watch as you'll get, I would imagine
0: mm-hmm
1: but-, but what
2: I'll say and and I agree, but it's the same reason I didn't really care for my series zero. The watch was so quiet i mm. couldn't I couldn't really use it um the only reason I kept it actually was septic time um so um I know it's a bit different in the sense that you know the hearing and vision are different, but very low volume is, I would think, kind of equivalent to very small screen, but mm-hmm. I can't say that for sure.
0: I will say the newer Apple Watch are definitely louder. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Way better. Yeah, 100%. I still want that 32-inch screen model.
2: Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you not just strap an iPhone or an iPod Touch to your to your wrist and be done with it? mm mm-hmm. <laughs> Cool. Our last device then to cover would be tv os so again it doesn't have the same size user base as ios but we did get some uh, some feedback on it for sure um for voiceover features 3.5 and 3.4 for the uh, user experience um kind of quirky and inconsistent would be the the sentiment so great that again to have a tv device for so many years we didn't have really access to these kinds of devices to our TV guides and all that kind of stuff. And in the last few years, I think it's fair to say led by Apple. We do now through the Apple TV. um, And now you've got Samsung and all these other companies, you know, um, LG and so on, adding it to their TVs. So um, adding, you know, text to speech. And this one is probably in my experience is probably still ahead in terms of responsiveness and that kind of stuff. But the quirky to so I could definitely agree with them different navigation modes. Do any of you guys have and use Apple TVs or is it just me?
3: It's been a while. You know, I do not have an Apple TV. Yeah. Um
2: If you want, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this in. Um And then I'll explain why I got rid of the Apple TV. But um what I really like about it is that as a braille display user, I'm able to follow captions. Now, in my set of circumstances, that works because, um, you know, I can still hear some. So, uh, you know, I can identify the voice speaking a lot of the time. So, you know, um, it's more of a supplementary thing. Uh, a fully deaf blind user could not take advantage of it. That's not Apple's fault. Um, it's it's a industry wide issue, you know, because you have the audio described track. And if they caption that as well as the. Uh, the The dialogue it really it really it's it would be crazy I can't even think of how 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 fast you would have to read, hmm. but um again they were the first ones as far as I know still the only ones that allow for braille support on Apple TV. Um, the reason I got rid of it is because I could do the same thing on my phone, which um you know at that point uh, another family member wanted the TV and. Pretty much anything I could do with the TV, I could do on my phone with my Braille display. So I uh, I gave it away. But at that point, and still to this day, to my knowledge, the only set-top box, the only TV that has any kind of Braille support is Apple TV.
1: Yeah, I'm not aware of any others. Um, and yeah, the Braille, by the way, got a 3.4 for features and 3.6 average for user experience. It uh, And yeah, I would agree with, kind of the inconsistency side and the quirkiness side uh myself so with voiceover like you've got two different navigation styles um so one kind of means you kind of it flicks kind of faster and the other one is kind of item by item but it just feels unnecessary (laughs) you know that kind of way and i think it confuses new users and some people point to the fact that there's a bit of inconsistency again with how it works in different apps so trying to bring up, say, the video playback controls and turn on audio description can be completely different from one app to another. Now, again, there's third-party responsibility for that, I would think, as well. But more kind of consistency, I think, is what people would like more of on Apple TV. And just a bit more, yeah, a bit more attention to the voiceover experience, I think. It's great that it's there, but maybe it fits in with one of those things that Apple did it and left it kind of thing. So... Maybe come back to it and uh, refine it. The um, other thing
2: is, um, I believe, and I'm not as big on TV stuff, so I could be wrong, but I think they were the first ones to support streaming to hearing aids as well. Uh, Samsung now has that, and uh, trying to remember the name of the other provider. Samsung's one of them, uh, and there's another one that are now offering you the ability to, oh, Amazon. Uh, is offering you the ability to connect your hearing aids but apples first uh
1: that's not I just will... through bluetooth standard that's specifically hearing aids is it
2: uh the I don't believe it's in I don't believe it's MFI now yet. Mm-hmm. But don't quote me on that because I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but I will sell you this it was great to pair my hearing aids I had a I have a Samsung TV at work. Yeah we're weird we have TVs at work. Um, but it pairs and I was able to follow dialogue, um, which was really nice. But the first time I ever had that experience with the
0: TV, the Apple TV. Okay. yeah. I will say that one thing for the Apple TV, I will grant them is stability. That thing is never crashes. I mean, if you use a Google cast Roku, a lot of people like to use the fire sticks and stuff. Um, you know, one, I, I noticed a lot of those devices over time, it just degrades. I don't know what the deal is. You have to buy new Roku after so many years, either because it doesn't get updates or whatever. And the TV OS, I will have to hand it to them. It is stable and never crashes, is is reliable. Um when I had it, I I loved it. Now I will say like yourself, is it is quirky and a little clunky. Um I get it. Because you have to do everything with a remote and you can only do so much with a remote. Um, I still think they could fine tune it and make it a little bit more precision on the voiceover experience.
1: Yeah, I haven't tried the new remote, but um, yeah, it's not worth it to me to actually buy a new one. But next time I do upgrade my Apple TV, I guess, whenever that is, um, I look forward to having the remote with buttons rather than that
0: swipey thing. I will (laughs) say for them, is it is unfair to say there's inconsistency and deduct the point against Apple when it comes to third party apps, mm. where the inconsistency of being able the media player and, uh, and such and such, um, that's not Apple's fault no. on that. That that would be HBO, that would be Paramount, that would be Netflix. That anything we use, it's just a typical app. So. I think Apple does a good job trying to make them aware of voiceover accessibility, but mm-hmm. it I will have to agree there are better consistency on the iOS when it comes to third-party apps, when it comes to media control, than on the TV. Mm-hmm.
3: Cool. Um yeah, one other thing I wanted to say, and I don't have an Apple TV, but I just say that what I've heard from others is that yes, Apple could could definitely improve the voiceover experience updated a little bit give it some love but at the same time part of the problem is the interface it's a remote you know it relies on remote but it's a tv and tv interfaces are not particularly known for their consistency or their user experience so that perhaps drives into a you know maybe a broader question about interface consistency on set-top boxes Mm. Because I have definitely heard that how um the Apple TV, like other set top boxes, does have some, you know, interface consistency issues.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um finally on the products, low vision for Apple TV, by the way, got a 3.0 um for both feature and experience. Again, not too much commentary on it. So again, it seems to be maybe a smaller, a smaller user um base in terms of res- who's responded here. Um And yeah, I guess a mix. They do have a dark mode and a lot of people would like that even if they don't have low vision. I think it's fair to say that's often the case with dark mode. Um, and there is magnification there, which I would think should work pretty with a remote would just follow the, follow the focus. So, um, I don't know a huge amount about that. I don't know if any of you guys know anything about the low vision features on Apple TV or we can uh, move it on. I will take silence as let's move
0: on. (laughs) Time to move it on, baby. (laughs) Um,
1: we had a couple of other questions beyond the actual specific products. The first one was around the new features in 2022 for accessibility. This got an average rating of 3.5. The most frequent was a three, but uh, obviously plenty of fours and fives in there as well to get the average up. Um, sentiment generally, great that they're still innovating after all these years and still adding new features mixed response to the specific features. So some people love eloquence. Some people think eloquence was a waste of time. Some people <laughs> want more voices or more refinement of the more voices. Some people want more refinement of the existing voices. Um, that kind of thing. You know, some people think door detection is great. Uh, others, um, you know, would feel maybe it's, it's not widespread enough, uh, you know, cause you have to have LIDAR and, you know, actually Thomas, you have door detection, uh, you know, so maybe you can, you can speak to some of these new features in terms of their quality, but that seems sure. to be a real sentiment.
0: Yeah, you know, OK, so if we're just focusing on the feature that we got in iOS 16, you know, I what I read in comments is that it just seems like it's never enough for some. And it seems like they need, people are expecting some big thing every single year, and it's pretty robust now. Voiceover is beautiful. However, the door detection was a great addition. I think it works great. It works um, most of the time. That I think overall, I think that is a very welcome feature. I think one of the bigger one is the voices, and I compliment and I I am very excited that they did bring eloquence and. Um, other voices to us t- to choose from. But my biggest two biggest issue with those voices is twofold. One, I feel like we went backwards in a way. Not that making eloquence available, but in a sense of you gave us these older voices, that's nice. But I feel like they are way behind, way behind to our competitors. Look at Microsoft. They got this brand new Voices on there. It's just beautiful. Google Assistant, beautiful. The A-Lady, beautiful. It seems like a lot of these companies are going server-based Voices for TTS. And I just feel like Apple did a great job here of bringing back the past for us. But you really need to get your game on here because you're falling way behind on the TTS um, business. And I think they could do so much more with that. So I kind of agree with that. With that, point mm-hmm. is great, but I think they kind of fell short not introducing something new. Um, in I think terms, that's
1: one, sorry, just to to jump in on the voices, I think that's one where the international Dunlop comes in as well, where the oh, US yeah. got a whole load of new voices, and then the likes of me sitting here in Ireland going seriously still just Moira, you know, it's
0: <laughs> right. You know, that, that's the second fold of the voices I want to implement is that what did they do? These are typical vocalizer voices that we find on a lot of different devices. Why is it that these voices sound different than the other devices that sounds better? And we got a lot of complaints about this is that the voices are not very good and there's like you said some international folks that comment on there they can't even use it cuz it's so bad um where they use that very same voice on jaws or nvda and it works just fine it, what 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 happened there and tom the voice tom is one of those the monkey house, I, I, you have this Wi-Fi <laughs> called the Mickey house, the <laughs> right? And it said the monkey house. Now, if I put that same Tom voice, same vocalized on jaws, it says the Mickey house. So I can't figure out what Apple did. So it seems like they gave it to us and just went punk and that they didn't tweak it. Nothing. It was like, you really got to help us here because there are a lot of problems with this. And um, especially with other native voices other than English there is some serious issues on that so I I I commend them for introducing us new features but here we are we are what six month pass and we still have no rectification or fixes or tweaks to those voices that a lot of people are complaining so I think that's why you're seeing a lower point than usual is not so much what you gave us but for the maintenance and tweaking it you're not doing a
1: I think your original point was fair though as well and I said the same I think in my own comment I started by saying I absolutely recognize that this is a mature operating system now we, you're not going to get big bang features every single year <laughs> there's just only so much to to go after I would think but um yeah I think you're right though what I think would be you know Alex
2: not Alex Hall of course he still sounds the same to me
1: he has a great um, voice too though to be <laughs> fair, you know
2: but Alex just does odd stuff that it didn't used to do um and i don't use i use eloquence or nothing for speech but several people that i've talked to and maybe they're different people from from you guys i don't know but the people that are using the alex tts on ios for example are saying it's just pronouncing things completely wrong that it used to pronounce correctly and then in a different context it will pronounce it right um but not always so there's they're doing something with alex at least uh, what they're doing i i'm not really sure but um ios 16 in particular uh people were complaining about that um and i don't use it enough to really say uh that i've noticed it but that's just a complaint i heard
1: yeah i've seen that said i i yeah. haven't noticed i use alex completely all the time and i haven't noticed a deterioration with Alex mm. myself. But mm.
3: they can never, they always seem to change the pronunciations. And it's like, that's one of those, at least in my opinion, maybe this is subjective, but for obvious words in the English language, how they're pronounced is not subjective. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like Mm. on Mac OS, for example, I use Alex. And since Mac OS Big Sur in 2020, the word Wi-Fi in most contexts is pronounced correctly. But if you're in the status menus or control center, it's uh, it's pronounced like Wi-Fi, uh, inexplicably. Uh, is this because
1: somebody and, yeah, in the background and, has spelled it differently? You know, in, maybe in terms of what the screen reader is seeing or something.
3: I guess, but then again, it's I check and it seems like you know, it was V-O-W-W, and it seems to be spelled like how I would imagine Wi-Fi to be spelled: capital W-I dash capital F-I. Um, and then the only thing I'd say about voices is I mean to a point natural or the sort of AI so-called natural language voices they would be nice but the only caution I'd have is that the more computationally demanding such voices are the more you're going to feel the performance hit with voiceover and other screen readers because of like I've tried using Siri voices uh the Siri voices with voiceover and uh, yeah I I do, I don't like the, the the Siri voices are great for Siri There, I yeah. don't love them for voiceover because of there there just is that little bit of latency and I've seen with other screen readers too trying to use like nuanced vocalizer voices with NVDA versus say the Microsoft um just the default like Windows one core voices there is that latency some kind of latency that and it's not it's not profound but it's enough to feel like I would... It's like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why is my user experience degraded like this? Um, That's why I think the most... One potentially interesting feature that they added was the ability for third parties to add synthesizers, like Mm eSpeak, to its platforms. I don't know how many developers will actually take advantage of that, but that is, in my opinion, a better approach than just looking for voices to add each year, trying to figure out, okay, is this a voice? Is this obscure? Are people going to love this? Are people going to think this is a waste of time? Whereas if you open it up to third-party developers, they'll do with it what they will. And again, exactly what they will do with it is, or if enough developers will take advantage of that is another question. But I think that's probably, in terms of voices, one of the best, uh, most innovative things they've done with voices in a while. Is that opening up to third-party synthesizers?
1: Definitely, definitely. It'd be interesting to see where that goes. Will it turn into a marketplace? You know, like on on the Android side, you can download a vocalizer or acapella or whatever, but then you're paying for the voices. Whereas currently, on up to now on iOS, we've had quite a much larger range of built-in voices for free. You know,
2: so interesting. No, no eloquence on place. Android anymore. Um, mm. If you, unless you purchased it, um, or you know, I mean, uh, on the Pixel Seven that I have. I can't get eloquence working at all. Um, so you know that that is something that they've added that Google took away. Mm. Uh, you know when when Code Factory quit selling it. So uh, I I think that's a big advantage. I guess what I would say is uh, to Thomas's comment about you know Mikey House versus Mickey House. <laughs> that I guess the pronunciation dictionaries must be different, uh, which I don't understand either. Why would they have a separate? pronunciation dictionary. However, in Apple's defense, I would say, well, you know, a Windows PC is a lot more powerful than an iPhone. So obviously some sort of compromises have to be made when you take these voices from one platform like Microsoft Windows and you throw it on iOS. You know, it's it's, it's a completely different environment.
1: Yeah, but I think that one was though, it it pronounced it correctly in iOS 15 with the same voice. (laughs) Right, uh, Right.
0: it's it's the last version. The pronunciation library was way better. That's what I mean is that between the four of us, we all agree and that is something's wrong. And this has been chanting and people have been saying this for ever since September when 16 released and nothing has been done. And so I don't think we are being heard that you need to revert this because there's been a lot of complaint and there's way more complaints. I haven't heard very many people, if any, that think the voice is perfect. Um, and I think that can be corrected easily on their end. I'm not saying it's the um, actual voice itself. It's just how it pronounced, pronounce things and maybe the pitch, who knows something needs to be tweaked back way it seems like it was one step forward but they took then it was two step back um thank you for giving it to us but it took two step back as in this is not very good
1: well it'll be interesting to see i do think uh ios 17 comes around if uh, we'll be we'll be chomping at the bit for yet more new features so uh it'll be interesting to see what what they come up with um and like i say i think when we talk about new features it's interesting as well because often we see that comment I'd rather you just fix you focused this year on fixing what's broken rather than adding new things. But then when you look at the scorecards, what have they done? Are you happy with the new features? No, there's not enough new features. So um, <laughs> they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, I think. Sometimes. Right.
2: That's exactly it. And, you know, the only thing I can come up with that maybe would address this issue, and I don't know, I'm not technical enough to know for sure, but wouldn't it be nice if, okay, fine, mess around with the pronunciation dictionary, go for it. You did, you know, they've been doing that with the Braille tables, but with the Braille tables, uh, we'll say English Unified Braille, that's typically what I use, there's a system table and there's a Lib Lewis table. So could we have pronunciation dictionary set up that way too? So you can get the Apple pronunciation dictionary as it currently stands, or the default, which is what you would find, you know, on other operating systems. That's the only really... Good way I could think to address it because voices like music and food uh, are very subjective. But yes, we all agree. Uh it's it's something weird's going on.
1: Yeah. Our final rating, guys, was and actually I'm disappointed to be in a way to be leaving the worst still last because it's it's not a nice <laughs> way to end. But did Apple is Apple uh, effectively or has Apple effectively addressed bugs? Uh a two point eight was the rating. So t- <laughs> frequent rating 3, but yeah, 2.8. I don't think we need to dwell on it too much in the sense that we've probably talked about a lot of the bugs and a lot of these <laughs> things already through it, but ultimately it comes down to a feeling in the community. Rightly or wrongly, the feeling is bugs tend to... Some bugs tend to linger forever. Features sometimes deteriorate. Um, and yeah, the more could be done really on on bug fixing. Is there any specifics people want to... Talk about on, on bugs.
0: Yeah, you know, I I will commend them. When we are in beta cycle in the major version, like in, during the summer, that's when we're doing with the x.0 they do a great job. They hammer out bugs left and right. I have to hand it to them. Um, it just seems like once it's been released, then we get to 16.1, 16.2. It seems like it just dropped like a rock and it seems like there's still bugs to deal with. And they just seem to shove that to the side. I don't understand why that is. So a good example is the lost screen. My God, huh. that was a disaster at 16.0. Yeah. And that took until 16.2. So we're talking one, two, three months before that was rectified and fixed. Now, I have to say, I wonder how much it plays on the engineers out there that are not in an accessibility team. And what I mean, I think the core issue, and it's just my thought, is these core engineers needs to be retrained. It needs to be built. And fix with accessibility in mind, not having an accessibility team doing the catch-up work saying, Mm -hmm. hey, you broke all this. We have to come back and tell you to fix all these things. I feel like they're playing the catch-up game, and it's not always fair to the accessibility team. Um, I think in some respect it is because there are a lot of minor bugs I still think they need to address, and they know it's there. But I also feel like where is your Q&A? When I was a programmer, when I got done with a major revision that went through a QA, and these people, they are, they just pound on it, pound on it, pound on it. And they did everything. They started from scratch. So if it went to mail, you create a new mail, you do it forward, you reply, reply to all, you just hit every single button. And I feel like there is no QA at all because there's so many little things that slip through. And I know that the OS is. Sh- is huge. And I'm not saying to do that for every minor version, but my last complaint, and I will say, I don't like, I wish more the critical and the moderate bugs get into this 0.1 release. Don't wait until the .1. Um, this year was very noticeable. There was quite a few bugs that people had to wait for a month or two before they can move on. And I think When it comes to that, you need to have a better system to put in these .01, .02 releases, not in them wait two months before you address it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I have have a feeling like sometimes that they either get fixed during the beta cycle or they might not get fixed at all. Sometimes, you know, like we, we see the number of bugs they fix during the beta cycle, don't we? You know, each year. Right, uh, we've lists and lists of bugs, and they most get fixed, but those ones that are left sometimes end up lingering.
0: Right,
3: so I feel like the general rule is if it's not fixed within a few dot releases after the initial version, it's a long haul survivor. <laughs> it's going to be there. That bug is here to stay. Like you're right, you,
0: and, but there are too many yeah. of those. It's true.
3: Um, I, mean. I see the both on iOS and macOS. Um, I have seen imp- I have seen a, a sort of an incremental improvement in macOS in terms of the amount of bugs that are fixed in the maintenance releases. Like for example, there was a, there was a major dry spell that I observed between uh, ten point eleven El Capitan, which was released in twenty fifteen, um, through ten point fifteen Catalina, which was released in October of twenty nineteen, where the .o releases would it fix some that introduce some they maybe add a feature or two but then the maintenance releases it would just stagnate the, each update release notes i could even go back in the arc this apple Vist site archives look at the release notes and say we are aware of no major changes for blind and low vision users in this release we are aware of no changes um and in macOS big sur we started noticing some changes there is some movement uh, you know I'm do, we're doing beta testing right now on some releases there is some movement and in in terms of you know there's and that that could always be better um but I do like that um that that change that positive development that I've seen um but again in, in terms of bugs especially for those long haulers you got to get them um th- th- stick around you know you you gotta do a better job of fixing the long-standing bugs, and there are a few on both operating systems, as I've mentioned in, in my report, in my comments to, to my report card submission.
1: Tyler, I'm impressed that you can remember all of the operating system names. <laughs> I, I can barely remember the name of the one we're currently on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I've been doing this. I've been doing beta testing for a long time
0: now. I think we also need to note that that score is a blanket score for everything. So mm-hmm. it kind of doesn't show the whole picture. It's just kind of a broad stroke. And so iOS might be a little bit higher. I think the Mac might have brought that score down a bit as well. But I think overall, I hate to say this, but I, I have to agree with the score.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would as well. Um I mean, when
2: possible... one possible speculation is, is there in the comments about, you know, you get what you pay for, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I think there may be some truth to that. You know, maybe if all the engineers internally are not able to pin down everything and it is a complicated operating environment, you know, iOS, all of them. And so, you know, if they haven't maybe they need to look at some sort of a paid program and uh, instead of volunteers uh you know for individuals that are like accessibility experts or whatever who can come in and really some of that testing for apple you know a lot of other companies will will do that you know they'll uh, i'll just use google as an example because they're very public about it they have usability studies so you go to one of these usability studies typically it's done in a google building in whatever city and uh, they they give you gift cards and stuff like that for you know it could be 50 bucks 100 bucks maybe that would be something worth exploring for apple And I'm not trying to sit here and say, you know, oh, they're so horrible. I'm just saying, you know, if what is there is not currently working, that could be a possible avenue for them to pursue to pay testers to do the testing. Because if you think about it, okay, let's say you're testing multiple platforms, right? And you've got a platform that is free. They're not paying you. You just volunteer and you have one that pays you in a certain way for doing the work. Which one are you going to give the higher priority? Mm-hmm. So if they don't have, or perhaps they should look at um, expanding, if they do, some sort of program where people can actually get paid for their time. And I'm, you know, again, yes, that that comment, you get what you pay for, I- exactly. Um, and it would be a very sad situation if all of the testers that were qualified in the field, for example, went to another product, gave those individuals all the great feedback because they were paid to do so. And then Apple gets outrun completely. And that's really not what I would like to see for Apple's future at all. You know, it's it's they've they have a lot of great things here. And I think we need to make sure that we make that clear. We're not sitting here saying everything is garbage and, you know, we hate you and all that. Well, I guess I technically did say that.
0: Don't isolate. <laughs> no, you're right. We can only do so much. Right. For free and the public can only do so much. And that's why I think in a simpler term for them is you need a Q&A team. If you have one, I'm, I'm sorry. You guys are doing a really poor job. You're not catching everything. And it might be something that I think one of you mentioned before is that don't let a sighted person do that. The QA cuz that's not going to work. You got to have those people that are like Scott says, that are deaf blind. Let them QA just the Braille portion. Let a real low vision person test it. Don't let any sighted person I think that might be a problem. Um for those that are blind, the same thing for voiceover. I think you're going to have two different Totally different QA results. Uh, so I think they need to focus on that. And one last thing I'll mention is that speaking of pain, I think they need to do more of a research team, as in, I think they introduce great features and things, but they really got to pull and ask people. I, I have marketers all the time say, hey, Do you have time? We're going to pay you such and such to try out this cereal or tell us what you like about it. What can we do? What can we improve? What can we add to this? I I feel like Apple doesn't do that, or at least I don't know of this. They need to do more research to the public and to those individual categories for those are blind and those are low vision, those are sighted to get more ideas from the people because I don't. I Think they're listening to us when it comes to what features we really want. Yes, door detection is great, wonderful, but I more than likely you guys came up with that idea. It wasn't from us, and I think that's fine. But I think you also need to take some more time to listen to us as well.
3: And so I so, like focus group testing, essentially.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, or you know, go to go to a convention or a tech uh, a tech convention or maybe a consumer convention. And this is not just a blindness problem, by the way. Uh, You know, it's all different uh, parts of the disability community. And the problem that there might start to run into if they don't develop these things is again, you know, just like Siri, they kind of got passed by. Um, They're going to get passed by again. Mm -hmm. And I'm so heavily invested in the Apple ecosystem that that would really be a sad day if I had to come back and say, well, the competition has passed you and I have to make a difficult decision the same way I had to make a difficult decision before with Braille um, in terms of Android. Uh, I I can't use it as a Braille user. I can't be very productive on it. I really hope that I don't have to sit here in two or three years and say, well, guys, I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm going to join Android Viz now or Windows Viz or you know, Linux Viz or whatever <laughs> <laughs> cool it would be for the one that comes
1: along. Yeah, absolutely. Well guys, I think that probably, uh, probably covers it. I think, uh, it's been a really positive, um, experience really. I think doing this report card, I think the, the scores are definitely interesting. I think we all agree that they're, they're very, um, they're good, accurate scores that we might've, um, expected to see. Um, Apple are doing a great job in many ways, and the feature set is is broadly very welcomed and uh, appreciated. Uh, like I say, they could they could do more around maybe listening to, to for future improvements. Um, but really, it seems that the user experience is is what's the, where the bigger gap is. I think it's fair to say from the from the results. Um and. Hopefully, we've given not just the community, but Apple themselves um, some really interesting information and and things to think about for the future. And on that note, I will thank you all for joining me. So, Thomas, Scott, Tyler, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yep. Uh,
2: Bye, everybody. Thanks, Dave.
0: See ya. Bye-bye.